0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Big League Philanthropist podcast, where we talk to athletes and nonprofits about the power of sports and what they're doing to make a difference in their communities. I'm your host, Danielle Berman. I am the founder and CEO of Tackle What's Next, where we share perspectives, stories and insights to make sure all athletes are ready to tackle what's next, whatever that is. Join me and learn more about how athletes are making an impact how sports can be used to make our communities better, and how our guests are changing not only their own lives, but also the lives of others all over the world. Welcome to the Big League Philanthropist. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the big league philanthropist. It has been a while. I am excited to be back. We've got a great episode for you today. We are joined by Adam Lewis. Adam is a former college soccer player who now works on using play and sport to drive social justice and address the greatest challenges facing our communities. Adam currently serves as an advisory board member to the Portland, Oregon Parks and Recreation Bureau. He's also a community giving officer who works to create economic equity across Oregon. He's a principal consultant at an innovative fantasy sports startup, so he stays busy. But prior to that, he served as the managing director of Street Soccer USA in Portland, which is a nonprofit that he actually founded. He led social impact legacy strategy for INEOS at the World Athletics Championships of Oregon 2022, and was a fellow at the New Leaders Council. He's a community advocate, and he's talked about play and empathy at TEDx, presented on the power of play in politics at the 2022 NLC convention. He was the 2019 Portland Timbers Community MVP award winner, the Multnomah Athletic Foundation Impact Award winner, and he's been featured in the Washington Post, USA Today, and the Oregonian. I mean. I'm excited just listening to that, but after hearing our conversation and really embracing what we talked about, I think you guys are really going to love this because Adam and I dove into the power of sport and really what that means. We hear it a lot. We talk about it a lot, but we really dove into what that means and we dove in kind of to the devil's advocate side of things. Well, what do we need to change about sport? How do we fix sport to make it even better? And uh, I think Adam really has this great perspective on the power of play to create change in all aspects of our life, not just in sports, not just with young people, but everywhere. So I was inspired and excited by this episode. I know you guys will be too. And uh, once you finish this episode, if you have more more time on your hands (laughs) and you want to listen to some more episodes of people that are doing amazing work, I highly recommend going back to season four, episode one and listening through season four. If you got more time, you want to go back and listen to seasons one, two, and three of this podcast, these interviews with these individuals, like I have never been more inspired than listening to this podcast and working with these folks recording these episodes. So I hope you guys really enjoy listening to them. So I know we've been gone for a while. We're working on recording some more interviews. So if you know anybody you think should be on the show, let us know. I've been taking some time this summer to focus on all of our event work, but we're getting back into content. So uh, please let us know who we can feature. Um, so yeah, check out Adam's episode. Let me know what you think. I loved talking to him. And, uh, again, if you need more inspiring content, go back in our library here so without further ado I'm going to turn it over to my conversation with Adam Lewis again I know you guys will love this hello everybody I am here with Adam Lewis Adam is a sport play and social justice advocate really appreciate you being here with us today Adam really excited to chat with you about your work
1: yeah thanks so much for having me Danielle I'm excited
0: Cool. Well, I want to just start right off the bat by diving into your background. Uh, you were before and you were in the social impact space. You got a bachelor's degree in politics, a minor in Spanish, like you played soccer in college. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into the social impact space? Like, what did you want to do and, and how did you get where you are today? Give us a little bit of your background.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think for me, a lot of it starts with with personal responsibility. there's a uh yeah i guess you could call it a proverb that's really stuck with me and that's you know no raindrop wants to believe that they're responsible for the flood and so all of us right so all of us play um a different role in not only creating social justice but also uh increasing the problems that our communities are facing and so if you look at this work from a perspective of um if you look at this work really from a perspective of, of my success and my challenges are all intertwined into one system, then I think that we can sort of start to pivot and start to change the way that we approach this work a little bit. I think you know that that really started with me you know when i was a when I was a youth athlete but but also like you mentioned in college so i I studied politics in Spanish not because I had any you know particular interest of of running for office or You know, where that was my main focus. Um, but I really wanted to get good at at reading, writing, and talking to people. Mm. And so I picked the subjects that were gonna force me to do that and get me out of my comfort zone a little bit.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's so interesting because I feel like sometimes people try to avoid getting out of their comfort zone. They wanna do things that they like feel very comfortable with. They feel like they are, you know, familiar with. So that's really interesting. Do you feel like that? your experience as an athlete really helped impact that desire to kind of get those skills, get out of that comfort zone. How do you feel like being a college athlete or even just a youth athlete kind of impacted that journey and the work you're doing today?
1: So I think when when I was a youth athlete, I was pretty myopic in focusing only on playing at the highest level.
2: Mm.
1: You know, obviously every kid wants to play professionally. Every kid has that aspiration. Uh, but you know, when I was 14, 15, 16, I found out that that might not be the most sustainable career path for me. And, uh, so I decided to play for for two different division, three schools, um, Pomona, Pitzer, and then, then at Willamette university. And, you know, my, one of my coaches at Willamette told me something interesting. He said, you know, you're not going to remember a single score of a game that you play in, but you're going to remember the times that you were goofing off with your teammates Or being playful or you know something weird happened during a team trip and you know frankly those are the the memories that that I take with me and so from a you know from from an experience standpoint like how I've used my experience being an athlete in other areas of my life you know sure there's all these intrinsic things that sport teaches you 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 gain confidence you gain teamwork you know the ability to you know be resilient and have grit and I think that those are things that kind of are always sort of taken for granted in sport. You know, whether you're playing soccer or tennis or rock paper scissors, you're going to gain those skills to some extent. Uh, but for me, it was really sort of taking a step back and thinking about what are the you know, what what is bigger than the game itself, and and how can I take that into my life with me everywhere else?
0: Mm, yeah, I really like that you were so intentional about looking at the bigger picture. Uh, because I do think that that is a missing ingredient for many athletes kind of not seeing necessarily how sport can play a role in their next chapter and how important it is for those intangible skills like you mentioned to be a part of you and everything that you're going to do after you're, you're done playing sports so I love that and it's it definitely I think inspires a lot of people to strive for you know for greatness and whatever they do uh but just going back to what you shared earlier around just like getting out of your comfort zone and trying different things you know i think that um it's really interesting that those two things intersected for you in terms of look i'm determined i have these amazing skills and i'm trying to actively kind of figure out the big picture and get out of my comfort zone uh so that's really interesting and i want to know so you graduate you are kind of figuring out your next chapter. What drove you to create Street Soccer USA? I think a lot of people, you know, in the Portland area, I think a lot of people are familiar with the organization, maybe from a from a broad spec spectrum. But tell me about how you got connected with the organization. Why were you like this has to be here in Portland? You know, tell me a little bit about that journey and and how you got there.
1: Uh, yeah, so it's it's a bit of a longer story. So uh, <laughs> um, so I'll 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 try to paraphrase, but. Um, so when I, when I left school, I, to be completely honest, I had no idea where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And I think that's a familiar feeling for not only student athletes, but, you know, folks in their early twenties leaving school. Um, and so I actually ended up taking a job in technology kind of on a whim that an alumni, you know, that also played soccer at Willamette set me up with, and I was really kind of aimless. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and my sort of, sort of like a, a galvanizing event or, or, or an inflection point for me that drove me into this work was I was, uh, I was actually driving home from Portland to see my family in Corvallis, which is, um, a small farming town in in Oregon. And I was driving down, I remember being stuck in awful traffic in the pouring rain. And I figured, okay, if I can't you know, move my car, I might as well move my body. And so I actually, uh, got off, uh, got off the highway in, in Salem, which is coincidentally where I had grown up playing
2: mm.
1: playing competitive soccer you know, as, a, as a youth and as an adolescent. And um, so I pull off the highway to a 24-hour fitness, and I'm warming up in the basketball court. And I see someone on the other side kind of side-eyeing me and looking over at me. And all I'm thinking is, I don't really want a confrontation right now. I just want to do a workout, and I want to go home. It's the holidays. I'm ready to see my family. And this guy from across the gym goes at him. And, you know, I kind of whip my head around and he jogs over and gives me a big hug. And at this point, I don't really know what's going on. And he he says, I'm sorry. And in the moment, the only thing I could muster was it's okay." Like, I'm sure whatever has happened is fine. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: um, it turns out that he was one of my former teammates. He had put on about 60 pounds, which is why I didn't recognize him. And he had just finished his third stint in a correctional facility. And he apologized because he felt like he had let our team down. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, you know, we didn't live in the same city. We weren't, you know, we weren't close friends. There was no sort of like bond outside of sport itself that, that connected us. And I remember leaving that interaction after we caught up a little bit. And I was, you know, again, staring at brake lights on my way back, back to Corvallis and thinking there's something here. There's something in these silly little games that we play with each other. These things that are supposed to be purposeless have this really intrinsic power in people's lives. Mm. And so, you know, that next week I quit my job at the technology company and I reached out to about, I don't know, 12 different sport for development agencies, big ones, small ones, all different kinds of sports and activities and said, hey look the you know largest humanitarian challenge facing portland then and and now has been homelessness and i said this is how i would adapt the model of your program to address homelessness in portland and i sort of like went to them sort of hat in hand and was like can i use your tax id and can i use your program and pretty much everyone was like in you know including street soccer was like this is weird and people don't do this (laughs) and like who are you and why Yeah. and so I got, I got a lot of no's and in rightfully so, you know, I, I wasn't at least on paper in a position to, to build an organization, you know, let alone being entrusted with, with a tax idea of this national brand. And finally I just wore street soccer down and they said, yes. And so, you know, that program started with me, you know, volunteering with a few guys in a homeless shelter. And, you know, now serves about 750 people each year at eight different programming sites. We have a full staff, a full board, um, and and have really changed, at least in my mind, the the conversation in homeless services in Portland, and which is sort of adding in what the role of sport and play is in addressing this massive issue. In a world where people aren't talking about sport and play in the homelessness conversation or in the climate change conversation or you know, in the criminal justice reform conversation. So for me, it was very much so this this personal drive that then cascaded into this larger question of, you know, really what is the role of, of play in sport in addressing homelessness in, in Portland and then sort of taking that idea and seeing where we can do it everywhere else.
0: Wow. I mean, first of all, just there's a couple of things I just wanted to piggyback on and kind of follow up on is the story of seeing your your teammate and just that interaction of one, just the serendipity of the, the whole moment, right? Just completely traffic jam. You happen to be there, you happen to see him, but then just the, the symbol of the power of sport that kind of comes through that story is just so awesome to hear because I think sport is that I guess I say people say language, people say this just like universal kind of feeling and symbol, but it is just bigger than a game. There's so much more to Mm -hmm. it. So I appreciate you sharing that. And you mentioned kind of going through that question of like, where is the role of sport and play? And I'd love to hear like, where do you think that role is? And why do you feel so strongly about sport and play being a part of not just homelessness and solutions in that world, but in climate change and in social justice and inequity, like where do you see that role? I'd love to dig into that with you and what you've learned in your time with street soccer and all these other organizations you're consulting with as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a huge question and one that I've really sort of been been pushing for in this world, but also one that I hope cascades into into thought models and into ways that we address social progress, yeah. um, frankly, across the world is, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in that games themselves, whether you and I are putting on helmet and pads and playing in front of 100,000 people at the Super Bowl, all the way down to we're playing rock, paper, scissors to see who takes out the trash later. You know, there's really various levels to this. You know, I'm a firm believer that those are radical rubrics for justice
2: Mm. and
1: for equity and for a way that we can approach community development if we're willing to pay attention to what games teach us, but more so if we're willing to reimagine them. You know, currently we, we look at play and we look at sport as an afterthought. You know, I don't have time for this. I don't have the money for this. I don't have the, you know, the energy for this. And, you know, I, I don't think that it's, uh, you know, too fitting that, you know, I have a surfboard behind me is that, you know, I really have tried to, to live this value of putting sport in play as a direct centerpiece to my life. Because, you know, if we take the time to reimagine the importance of sport and we find purpose in these seemingly purposeless activities, then we are actually left with this incredible framework and, and, and thought model, you know, you take soccer, for example, the boundaries are the same for everyone. The ball is the same size, the clock runs at the same speed, you know, during that tiny microcosm of a game, we do actually see what equality looks like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the referee is supposed to, you know, officiate the game fairly for both sides, you know, that concept of fairness and the concept of justice is fleeting in our world. You know, I, th- I think that it's, it's no secret that, you know, we've seen a lot of language in, in, from advocates today talking about two different justice systems. And that's absolutely true. And so for me, it's if you keep playing games, if you keep playing sports, if you keep engaging in these things, and if we invest in them in a really earnest way, then we get so much back from that. The more you do it, the more you experience justice, the more you experience equality, the better you get at it everywhere else. Mm. And so for me, I think it's not only a strategic investment on, on one end of being really pragmatic with the way that we're investing in play and the way that we're reincorporating it back into our lives. But on the other end of that is a large cultural shift, is thinking about this really interesting paradox of One of the only things that we all know how to do, which is play, you know, as a child, you don't, you're not taught to hit a rattle in front of you. You just kind of do it. So we have this intrinsic thing and yet we've done our best to quite literally rip it out of our lives at every juncture.
0: (laughs) That's true.
1: Right. And so for me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And so maybe the answer to addressing a lot of these incredible challenges of our time is to maybe return to the one thing that we all like to do. And maybe the other thing that like most of us know how to do. And so for me, it's it's just this really interesting paradox. And I think if we keep as a community keep pulling on that thread, we're going to get closer and closer to to something that works.
0: Yeah, no, it's so interesting that you bring up the the two different sides of it, right? Not only just the opportunity to bring people together to teach them about what equity and equality and justice all look like in in one setting, but also just the idea that it's really healthy and natural for all of us to want to have these experiences where we're just playing or playing a sport or doing an activity that's fun, that it's just exciting, it's fun. And, you know, until you said it, you really don't think about how Play is not encouraged in, and especially adult life. You know, I think once you hit kind of high school, it's kind of like, all right, kids, like time to be adults now. No more fun. It's time to get to work. Uh, and, and you know, thinking back to the last time I just played something, I I don't even know if I could give you a couple instances where I was just like, oh yeah, I just went and played a game of soccer. I just went and played this. Like, I just I can't even think of it. Um, and so that's really interesting that not only is it helpful in terms of bringing justice into all these different sides of our lives, but also just encouraging all of us to embrace play as a, just a stress reliever, mental health booster, right? All these different things that it can really be like sport can be such a great, just, you know, benefit to all of our lives because it's supposed to be fun. I want to ask a follow-up question about this because Mm -hmm. I do feel like there's probably folks listening that go, oh, well, sport isn't always that most perfect equal opportunity for everyone. We have a lot of issues with access, you know, depending Mm -hmm. on where you live and what your income level is, maybe what sport you're trying to get into. So how have you seen some of the kind of accessibility issues or just kind of lack of equality in terms of access to sports play a role in some of the work you're doing. Um, have you seen it? Have you addressed it or worked with any of your clients around that and just kind of playing the devil 's advocate here? you know how do we fix some of those problems in our own house, so to speak, of sport making sport more equitable
1: so that that's a great question, and to start off uh, there are very few people in the sport for development world that think that sports, that access to sports are equitable. (laughs) Uh, The the thing that I would sort of interject there as an important distinction is what happens in games themselves, like in the space of play, that's where you're getting those really radical rubrics for justice and equality and all the social emotional learning skills you mentioned. And then there is sort of this larger bubble of systems that govern access to them. Mm -hmm. And that's everything from, The pay to play system from access to fields, to divestment, to neighborhoods, to safety of parks, to all of these different cogs that make someone feel comfortable and and feel like they have ownership over over a space where they're allowed to play. And so I think that the root of, you know, certainly not the sole reason for the, the challenges that our communities face, but, you know, one symptom of it is, that there is just such a massive inequity in play. And if you Mm. trace that, if you sort of, again, I come back to this metaphor of kind of tugging on that thread. If you tug on the thread of where communities have been divested in terms of playing sport, they're the same communities that have high rates of incarceration, high rates of displacement. um, And now in major cities, they're the same ones that are being gentrified. Mm. And so if you look at play as sort of this this marker of divested communities um the two go very hand in hand, and so I think a lot of my work in terms of access has been sort of thinking about it in in three different ways as grassroots programming, narrative change, so changing the way that you know Jane Doe and Joe Schmo think about the systems of play and then all the way up to that systemic level and so you know, in terms of addressing the needs of a community, especially in terms of play, we're talking about grassroots programming to get people in that community to have healthier outcomes. In the narrative, we're trying to convince everyone in their community that this is a good idea Mm. and has has an important sort of dovetail into other issues, not only into the sort of intrinsic benefit that the play is going to provide people. And then third is really thinking about the way that we're changing the systems that allow folks to play, but then also using the lessons that play teaches us to address systems everywhere else,
2: mm.
1: right? There's no reason that we shouldn't be taking the, the lessons that games teach us and shaping criminal justice reform and shaping systems of equitable housing in cities. And frankly, even a, thinking about the way that we address climate change through an equity lens, all of those lessons can be taught And learned through play but sort of as you said there's this sort of you know cart before the horse situation where if we've divested so much away from play we have no opportunity to learn these skills Mm -hmm. and so then how can we sit here as just sort of members of the world and think why aren't we doing more to address xyz issue when maybe the leaders in charge haven't learned how to address that
0: Mm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm obviously not saying that's a, that's a ubiquitous thing, you know, across everyone's life experience, but there is this, this sort of logical conclusion where there's a massive gap where sport and play could be. And then we're seeing similar results in, in our legislatures and our judiciaries across the country and across the world. And so for me, it's kind of like, you know, nothing else has been working. Why not try play?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I like that you brought up the the distinction between the sport itself, the game itself, and the systems that govern it, the systems that are around it, because as much as sport is an equalizer and you do get on the court or the field or the ice and there's set rules for everybody, regardless of, of what's going on, the governing of those, sports of those community sports of those professional college sports there's there's a business and a system and those systems are very similar to the systems that run everything else in the world so I appreciate Mm -hmm. that distinction first off and second off I think you brought up a really interesting point which is the power of play and the lack of play in our society has really probably made just as much of an impact in these other industries as it has in sport um And so I appreciate that. And I think, I think what we talk about a lot is like, how do we address, you know, criminal justice through sport? How do we bring people in, get them excited because it's sport and then teach them something. But I almost think you're bringing up a point of like, before we even get to that point, how do we just reintroduce sport and play to people in general? Like, how do we get them playing more, interacting in sport more, um, so that their brains are just focused on this idea of equality and equity and 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 that play mindset. And I think that's a really interesting point that I don't think we've explored a ton on this podcast, but I think it's really interesting you bring it up because it is very different than saying, you know, we're gonna create equity in sport. That's what we're gonna do. Like right. here's the big challenge, right? That's that's easier said than done. <laughs> oh,
1: oh absolutely. And I think I think what you I I love how you frame that distinction because, you know, I'll, I'll kind of lead with a lead with a story here. And that's that, I think you need, you need both. You need not only this sort of larger conversation about how play can change social issues, but you also need social justice through play and sport. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, was most proud of at street soccer was, um, you know, I, I, I helped to create this game called the Unity Match, and in in Portland, what we did, um, which was you know fairly unique, is uh, we had Portland's homeless World Cup program. So those are folks, young men and women experiencing homelessness in Portland, uh, had them sort of compete and in, in play in this ceremonious game against everybody from the Multnomah County, which is is Portland, you know, um, against the the Multnomah County Assistant DA circuit court judges, city council members, and pro players. And the, the sort of magic or palpable you know, importance behind this game is that on one hand, you have the most ignored people in our community, mm-hmm. the folks that by and large people every day are walking by on street corners and not giving a second thought to, and then the people that are most visible in your community. The folks that you see on TV giving speeches, the folks, you know, we vote by mail in Oregon. So the folks that are mailed to your house, you know, on a ballot, these are quite literally the people that are sleeping on street corners and the people that in, in a way have decided that they're supposed to sleep there. Mm. And for me, if, if we can put folks within the same space of play, it, not only sort of changes that narrative and gives people this really radical rubric to to pay attention to folks with different background circumstances and privilege everywhere else, but also provides a really interesting lobbying tool. And that's that the traditional forms of lobbying are, you know, they're in congressional offices, they come with all these barriers to access, you have to speak the quote unquote right way and act the right way and, you know, do different things to get access to these people that make laws. But in terms of, of play, it's a way to teach someone about your humanity without opening your mouth. Mm. And, you know, what we found through that game is, you know, I'll I'll never forget this. I got a, a text from one of the players from the Homeless World Cup program that played in that game. And he said, uh, Adam, the judge presiding over my case was, uh, the same judge from the game. Wow. And. I was thinking so that, you know, they had this moment where they both walked into the same room, sat across from each other and said, hey, we know each other from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the power dynamic of a judge sitting behind a desk and someone that's facing a charge on the other side, there is hardly any common ground that's ever felt there. And it's incredible that this space of play allowed both of them to, to reframe the understanding of who's on the other side.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, that player actually had his felony expunged that day off of his record. And this isn't to say that the judge acted partially or favorably sure, or, yeah. or or anything like that. But I do think it begs this question of if we can do this more and we can be intentional about who's playing with who, we can really start to give people a different model of thinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. And so I think with, within that space, you know, again, that's a long-winded answer to your question or comment, but it's really you need both. Mm-hmm. You need this reimagination of play, and you need this really intentional uh, pursuit of of putting sport for social impact, sport for social justice programs, in the right places.
0: Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you sharing that because it, it actually kind of harks me to the the TED Talk or TEDx Talk you gave in twenty nineteen around play and empathy and you really did talk a lot about that attention to homelessness, but in a way that was like, these are human beings and let's say hi and smile and and acknowledge their humanity. Um, and play was a big part of, of that conversation that you had, um, in that space. So, you know, I think it, it makes a lot of sense what you're bringing up here and kind of talking about the judge and, and the, you know, the, his teammate that ended up being the person sitting in front of him waiting for a sentence or not. Right. So I think there's, there's a lot of benefit from what you're just talking about, but tell me a little bit about kind of, as you're preparing for this TEDx talk, you're talking about, Play and empathy. Like there's there's a way to message this, right? You've been telling these stories. Like, tell me a little bit about like what you want people to take away from the work you do when you give a TEDx talk, when you come on a podcast like this. Like, what's the takeaway for somebody listening that's going, interesting? Like he's making some really fascinating points. Like, what what do they do now? Do they go advocate? Do they find organizations? Like, tell me a little bit about what you hope people do with the work you're involved in.
1: Yeah, I would say. The easiest way to to sort of digest this information and in my very long-winded <laughs> monologues. Um oh. I think the 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 easiest way to to get involved with this is frankly just to start to reimagine the importance of play mm. and how you can interject that in your daily life. This doesn't mean everyone needs to go quit their job and start a sport for social change nonprofit or even join a community team, but thinking about small moments where you can bring play into your life or into someone else's. And play could be everything from painting or drawing or, you know, rock, paper, scissors, or just being goofy, or, you know, even these small moments of when you're walking down the sidewalk and it's too narrow for you and that other person coming from the other direction. And you do that weird little shimmy and (laughs) then you're both kind of smiling at the end of it. He's thinking about these moments in our daily lives that we so consistently push to the side thinking about what the importance of those is, not only in our humanity, but in the way that we look at the world. Mm. And so what I would push people after hearing this podcast is, we the, it's fine if you disagree with me in the importance of play or the way that I framed this, but I don't think there are many people that would disagree that something needs to change, frankly, anything needs to change in the way that we're viewing social progress, at least in the, in the United States. Mm. And if play can be a part of that, I think that it's important that we explore it. And so for me is, again, the big takeaway is just, you know, number one is reimagine the way that we view sports and play. And, and number two is try to do it more in your daily life. And if it's three minutes a day, try to play more.
0: Yeah. No, I I love it. I think it's so powerful. And I think it's, you know, we hear a lot about the big problems we have, right? And and we all need to to take responsibility. Like even at the beginning when you talked about the raindrop causing the flood, right? You know, we all play a role in what happens in our world. And to start to change that, it's that responsibility factor, right? Well, I need to change my own perspective, my mm-hmm. own life, how I see myself before going out, like you said, and making these big societal changes and starting organizations and trying to change everyone around me, like start within yourself. It's, it could be overwhelming to look at the big picture and say, well, we got to change these 20 things in the next 20 years, right? Well, no, what can Mm -hmm. I change about myself? What can I change about my routine? What can I do when I see someone on the street, you know, differently than what I would have done the last time, right? You know, those kinds of little changes put pretty more humanity and play and just, you know, generosity in our lives. I think that's really, really important. Um, and I think it's great to kind of summarize again, that big takeaway is just look at what you can do, look at what you can do to infuse play.
1: Right. And I think that it's, it's, I really love how you brought up that point of, of looking inward. It's, it's not only looking inward, but also being really critical with yourself with where your sphere of influence is, Mm. you know, not all of us are CEOs of, you know, major companies and, you know, maybe you are. So your change looks different than someone else's.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, if if we're all to go back to that, you know, starting um, sort of proverb is if we're all raindrops contributing to this flood, some of us are buckets of water. Some of us are smaller raindrops. And that's not to draw a distinction in value, but it's just to draw a distinction in What's the impact that you have the capacity to make and who in your life is going to listen to you? Mm. And even if it's just, you know, one person, even if it's just your dog, it's, it's important to rethink the way that we treat play in our lives and and in those around us.
2: Mm.
0: That's powerful. I, I really love it. And I know we're wrapping up on time here and I want to get to just two more questions for, for you. Um, and I think you kind of just answered it, but I want to ask the question again, just to see if there's anything you want to add. But but we talk about philanthropy here on The Big League Philanthropist, and I want to know in your mind, what does being a philanthropist mean? What does that look like in your eyes? How would you describe it to someone?
1: Yeah, so I think we've, we've kind of been circling around it throughout this conversation. I really do think that it comes down to sort of number one is, is that responsibility factor. And number two is thinking about where your sphere of influence is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the more ways that we can use play to reimagine the way that we view philanthropy and the more that we can invest in using those lessons to improve access for kids, adults, anybody and everybody in between, um, I think the better off we're going to be.
0: Yeah. And I, I like that you mentioned the sphere of influence again, because I do think that you know what you just described with the bucket or the raindrop, right? It, it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. Philanthropy can look different depending on that sphere of influence or that responsibility that you have or what you can do. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up and kind of referencing that because I thought that was a really good lead into what philanthropy really is, which is is individual. Like what mm-hmm. what can you do? What change can you make? So I appreciate that. And you've given such great advice and kind of things that you, you think is is really important around sport and play, but talking to maybe athletes that might be listening who are saying, all right, I want to do something. I want to do something mm-hmm. big. I want to help. I want to make change. What advice would you give to an athlete that wants to speak up about something that matters to them or wants to help drive change? but Maybe doesn't really know where to start or how to get, how to get going.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question and and definitely changes for, for everyone, I would say sort of the biggest thing is to lead with with curiosity,
2: mm.
1: and you know I I'm a a big fan of of Ted Lasso. I think that Me you too. know you know again not not only being a lifelong soccer player, but I I do think that there's a lot of incredible lessons that we can take away from that. And you know I might butcher the quote, but you know he says something when he's playing darts about you know, leading with, with curiosity and not judgment. Mm. And so I think that for folks looking to get into this space is to not think that you have all the answers to not think that you do X, Y, and Z better or worse than someone else, but to lead into, and to lean into an issue area with, with curiosity, Mm -hmm. you know, frankly, you're going to get it wrong because I, I have my, frankly, my entire career, Mm -hmm. And and that's okay. And that being able to be curious and to be gentle with yourself and gentle with your community, I think you're going to be going to be much better off. You know, for me, an an entry point into this work took a, you know, like you said, this incredibly unique and chance experience that, you know, I I don't think it's coincidental that it happened in a basketball court of all places. Mm You know, we could have seen each other at a restaurant. Um, But yeah, I I would say to anybody that's aspiring to do this work is is be curious, ask questions, challenge what people are saying to you based on your own experience, and then figure out how you can best fit into this world.
2: Mm,
0: I appreciate that. Such great advice. And the curiosity factor is so important because that grace and patience with yourself is is so important in everything you do, but if you're not curious, it's gonna be really hard if you if you can't succeed. So I appreciate that, that point. And, and, and last thing, if people wanna learn more about your work, if they're interested in talking to you more about the intersection of sport and play and justice, if anyone's interested in learning more about the work that you do with your specific clients, where can they find you? How can they connect with you and just generally learn more about your, your work and, and the impact you're making?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I I do want to preface that I'm happy to include my my contact information and I really do encourage you to reach out. You know, a a mentor of mine told me that y- you have to bring people with you. Mm. And I've had so many incredible people uh bring me with them and that if I can return the favor in a small way, uh I I, I want to do that. You know, I'm I'm on LinkedIn, Adam Lewis. Uh my website is adam-lewis.co. Apparently there's a lot of Adam Lewis's in the world and they took all the other domain <laughs> names. Um, but yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to include my contact information in the show notes um, and please do reach out.
0: Great. Well, I will certainly make sure we get all of that good information in there and have the links ready. And you guys heard him. Please reach out. So he's going to expect some, some emails, some outreach. Uh, but Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. This was such an exciting conversation. I loved it. I could go on for hours, but I know we both have, a, a, both have other things we need to get to today. But just thank you for taking some time to share with us and thank you for the work you're doing. It's really important. And uh, we're excited to highlight what you're doing.
1: Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Thank you guys so much for joining us. This was an incredible episode of the Big League Philanthropist. I absolutely love talking to Adam. Uh, you should go check out his TEDx talk on play and empathy if you haven't already. If you want to check out more of the work Adam is doing, you can follow him on Instagram at Adam, I-S-A-D-O-R, as well as connect with him on LinkedIn. You can also check out his website, adam-lewis.co. And as you know, this will all be linked in the show notes, so you won't miss anything. Just thank you so, so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so we can reach even more incredible listeners. Share it with someone who you think will love this conversation. And a huge thank you to Tegan garcia Boname at Team Tackle What's Next for his help creating this episode. We will see you next time for another inspiring conversation here at the Big League Philanthropist. Thanks, everyone.